Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. So there are many, uh, there are many changes we can point to, and of course, anything we say, as Steve said a couple of times, we, we, we do generalize here and we take that on board because it is a, such a complex thing to address any of these uh, topics. But without dismissing or certainly minimizing um, some of the real problems that exist, because of course they do, and many people go, but what about this, what about that? And yes, of course, we are in a transition. As Steve is saying, it's complex, it's, it's difficult to negotiate. But from the same site that uh, Steve referred to before, humanprogress.org, um, a little piece from that, just at the beginning, that says here, the story of humanity over the course of the last two centuries is nothing short of remarkable. As late as 1870, life expectancy in Europe and the world was 36 and 30 years, respectively. Today, it is 81 and 72 years, respectively. In 1820, 90% of the population of humanity lived in extreme poverty. Today, less than 10% does. In 1800, 88% of the world's population was illiterate. Today, 13% of the world's population is illiterate. In 1800, 43% of children died before their fifth birthday. Today, less than 4% do. In 1816, 0.87% of the world's population lived in a democracy. In 2015, 56% did. And there are further statistics, of course. But, you know, to look at that in perspective and go, well, actually, we really have advanced on one level, and reiterate that on one level, because of course many other issues and problems have been created too in the solving of these problems, and that's what we're facing now, this change into a new paradigm in order to deal with those new and emerging problems. Yeah, the overall trajectory though is to towards a, mm. uh, a safer and uh, better world in yeah. many, many different respects. Mm. And that's a great site to humanprogress.org if you're ever feeling uh, depressed by listening to the news, then stop listening to the news and go and have a look at this. And, <laughs> see what's really happening around the place. Indeed. Some other uh, milestones, uh, just talking generally now about how these new paradigms are showing up in the world. Uh, I'm looking at, an, uh, at the singularityhub.com website now, a story from December, which is looking at some of the, the more optimistic things that are happening in the world. I mean, one paragraph or one section of the article here is about us being on track to become an interplanetary species. Yes. So. One of the key characteristics of the emergence of more complex value sets is the expansion of our perspective. So the, the, the world that we live within becomes larger and we start thinking bigger. And, and here we are uh, once again thinking about the things off the planet. <clears throat> and we went through a, an early stage of this back in the 60s. So in that time when there was so much revolution and this big wave of new values that came through in the 60s that resulted in many of the things that are happening now because we're seeing another wave except it's a, it's a bigger wave and this one's gonna splash all over us I think. Mm. Uh, but back in the 60s, uh, it's a great example of early stage change in, that's very, very similar to what's happening in the world right now. We had social revolutions, we had this call for everybody to love everyone else and you know social freedoms and uh, there was a, a emergence of psychedelic use, and of course we uh, we left the planet to go to the moon. Mm. 
So, you know, there's as an example back there from our perspective of becoming larger and our interest in things off the planet. And so that's happening again, uh, this time with uh, the efforts of organizations like uh, SpaceX, for example. Which uh, launched 21 satellites last year in 2018, which is amazing. Uh, 21 successful rocket launches. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, launches, yes, yes, yeah, not satellites. Yeah. yeah, they're experimenting, aren't they? But they've, uh, in the first um, first group of those tiny little cube satellites, haven't they up there yet? Yeah, I think they, they just launched a big bunch of them mm. uh, in the last month or so. And uh, it's such a, was such a big cluster of micro satellites that you could see it at nighttime shining in the sky, uh, I, I heard. Mm. And uh, of course, SpaceX isn't the only organization that is, uh, launching things off the planet at the moment. There are a couple of other private sector organizations doing it. And this is also a reflection of another huge trend, which uh, is a trend away from um, centralized government control of these sorts of things. So back in the 60s, it was the government that was doing this. But now we're seeing the private sector getting more involved. And so there's a big shift back to the private sector, which is also part of this decentralization thing. So whereas in the past, governments always have always been in control of these things, it's been very centralized. Now anybody who's got the money basically can do it and, and are doing it, and, and they're starting to exceed the, the uh, efforts of government. And of course our natural instinct, uh, many of us who are, you know, have already perhaps moved into uh, the, the newer paradigm to the green layer paradigm would be somewhat suspicious about private enterprise moving into these spaces. But perhaps that's uh, that's also not uh, not a, a complex enough uh, a, a appreciation of what's actually happening there because neither government nor private enterprise themselves have the solutions. It's better to perhaps uh, allow combinations of and uh, eventually that uh, these things, all things, come from a, a, an ownership, so to speak. Ownership's a difficult word. An ownership from the ground up. Yeah. Uh, which shareholding, I guess, is the first stage of that, perhaps, you could you could argue. One of the difficulties of talking about this yeah. at the moment, it's, a, it's like talking about left and right in politics. Everything's changing. And so our old definitions of what's yes. public and what's private, our old le- definitions of left and right wing in politics they they're not they don't hold anymore uh, because values are shifting and and these uh, things which we put into a particular pigeonhole are changing and so they don't necessarily fit in the pigeonholes anymore i think better language around what's going on is moving from centralization to decentralization so rather than the central control of uh, of governments in the past we're seeing private organizations crop up in a decentralized way, each of them doing their own thing and doing it in different ways, which is uh, bringing more diversity. And, and that's really the best way of describing this trend is, is from centralized to decentralized. And it's applying across the board, not, not just with space travel, obviously. Another piece from Singularity Hub I found interesting is uh, about um, breakthrough mental health therapy. And uh, just quoting from this, while cleaner energy access to education and higher employment rates can improve quality of life, they do not guarantee happiness and inner peace. But according to the World Economic Forum, mental health disorders affect one in four people globally. Most of us know this now. And in many places, they are significantly underreported. More people are beginning to realize that our mental health is just as important as our physical health. And we mentioned that before, that sort of turning inwards first towards the physical body. Let's get the physical body tight and taut and terrific and looking great. But now it's about mental health more so for more people, that we ought to take care of our minds just as much as our bodies. That's right. And also taking care of people who are mentally ill and yes. doing it in such a way that they are they remain integrated within society. Whereas in the past, if somebody was mentally ill, they, they often would be locked up in an asylum. 
But now what I'm seeing is much more tolerance for people who are mentally ill to remain integrated within society and to be treated within that yeah. particular context. And in my own experience, one obvious example of that is that uh, the military are becoming much more tolerant of people who are mentally ill, for example, yes. with post-traumatic stress disorder. Whereas um, only, you know, probably 10, 20 years ago, uh, somebody would have just been kicked out straight away if they were if they were mm. diagnosed as being unwell. Now they're allowing people to remain in service to, to continue to be integrated mm. within the military, but and be treated for mental illness in the process. So, and that's happening, you know, right across society, and certainly in this area where we live um, in the Byron Shire, that's been something that's been notable for many years is the prevalence of more people who are clearly mentally ill but who remain within society oh, rather, society. rather than being separated and locked up mm, as people have been in the past. And of course there has been quite a lot of uh, applications to put mental health well-being at the centre of things, breakthrough advancements in genetics are allowing us to better understand the genetic makeup of disorders like clinical depression or schizophrenia and paving the way for personalised medical treatment we're also seeing the rise of increasingly effective therapeutic treatments for anxiety. Uh, and of course, we're not really talking here about pharmaceuticals, because that's a big change. We're talking partly, at least, about the new psychedelic revolution, which we've, uh, we talk about often here on this show. And there's many indications that that's uh, clearly happening in a much more full, researched and a proper manner than it did in the first iteration, as you mentioned before, in the 1960s. Yeah, that's right. And I think that is a, a good uh, general difference between what happened in the 1960s and what's happening now. Yep. So it's it's the same value set which is driving the change, but it's more organized and more structured. And part of the reason is that in the 60s, there was no internet. And so there was, n there was no scaffolding, communication scaffolding to hold up the efforts of people who were trying to drive change back then. Yep. Now we've got this scaffolding. It, it is by definition more organized, it has a, a scaffold there. Yeah. And so all of the efforts to bring change, whether it be in, in health or whatever aspect of living, each each of them is more organized. You know, they're being underpinned by uh, research, which is more widely accepted. I mean, there was a lot of research that happened back in the, the 60s in the psychedelic world, but it basically all got squashed down because of the uh, prohibition. Yeah. Richard yeah. Nixon, yeah, didn't didn't like the. Uh, he was certainly one of the characters involved, wasn't he? He was one of the characters involved. Yeah. And lastly, from the Singularity Hub, uh, we've talked briefly a couple of times about or mentioned Stephen Pinker before, an interesting character in, in a TED talk of his. He says, I think this sort of sums up quite well. Progress does not mean that everything becomes better for everyone everywhere all the time. That would be a miracle, and progress is not a miracle, but problem solving. Problems are inevitable, and solutions create new problems which have to be solved in their turn. And, you know, that's... Um, and I, th I think he's been listening to our podcast. I know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but it's such an important point, this. And, you know, until I met you, uh, Mr. McDonald over there, I, I, knew, I didn't really think that way, although the first time I heard that kind of statement, I thought, of course. Of course, we solve problems, we create more. Of course, that's obvious, and, yeah. that, and it advances. It's not like history repeats itself in this cycle going round and round the same circle. No, mm. it goes up and there are resonances and uh, it's a spiral, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I, I think understanding that change doesn't happen everywhere simultaneously is a really important thing. It's, it's been a, a, an assumption of the past that when the world changes and all the people who are, have been anticipating this big shift which is underway at the moment often used to 
think about it in uh, somewhat romantic terms. That, yes. You know, we would all wake up one morning yes. and there'd be, you know, there would have been a sudden thing happen overnight and everybody's different. But it, Which I must admit, there's part of me that still likes to believe that. Well, that's right. Totally. There are still people that I talk to who are, who are still locked into that thing that, you know, there will be this magical day where somebody waves a magic wand and everything changes. Or the, you know, the aliens come down or the angels or we're all lifted off. You know, there's a thousand different versions. Maybe we're going to the center of the earth. Look, uh, it, there's all sorts of things. It's all possible. It's all possible. It's, it's all possible, but it probably won't all happen on the same day. No. <laughs> <laughs> and these things are fractal patterns too. So, you know, you can, you can look at what's happening in your own neighborhood, in your own street or country lane wherever you might live mm. and how you know one neighbor does something differently one day and then that slowly spreads and and you know this is how change happens yeah. it's just it's a natural organic process i mean when you think of uh, simple things like the way we what we eat and how we prepare our food and uh, how that who first came across something and prepared it in a certain way and discovered the attributes of that thing where did that happen and then how did it become endemic to a culture or across the whole planet it's, it's quite Some, an amazing someone thing. tweeted it that's that's how it happened. That's how it spread. Yeah, before, well, there was the birds that, the birds that <laughs> dropped seeds before. Now we're tweeting in a different way altogether. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. That's where you tune. 999, it's 1012 here on Future Sense, going through till 11 o'clock this morning with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans. We're looking at positive signs of change, the emergence of new values and new ways of being on this planet. So we're going to have a look at the decentralization theme at the moment. And uh, part of this, of course, is the fact that some people have got money to throw around. And so I was just mm. looking at a, a, a post from Nielsen.com, Nielsen, which, which is the big market survey company, uh, which says that people are buying the change that they need to see in the world, <laughs> which is a little tweak on being the change, of course, <laughs> that, that famous famous saying. Oh, dear. Uh, and uh, and this is true. So particularly, you know, with the um, the emergence of cryptocurrency and those sorts of things, we're seeing a, a redistribution of wealth. A lot of young people are suddenly becoming rich, and of course, if they've got the money, they they go ahead and buy the change that they want to see in the world. One of the ways that that is showing up is that. Uh, there's a reversal of the centralization of, of living. So we've been through a time where people have been very much drawn to live either close to or even in the latter stages of the, the uh, modern era, actually right in the city, in the central business district mm. of the city. Uh, that's been a, a huge trend and there are early signs now that that trend is reversing. So uh, there's a, I've got a, an article here about um, the UK and uh, what's happening there and uh, let me just quickly find the well we're seeing it we're also seeing it in australia as you're finding that yeah that's too, true which actually, is interesting yeah. a report from last year that. um could moving to small towns be the new australian dream this is from last year from uh, from the abc and uh, it looks like there is because the wisdom the common wisdom is that the small towns of australia are failing and uh, especially with the agricultural uh, um, business sector being under lots of stress for all sorts of reasons, um, but there is there is this movement away, and we we've seen it as a tree change, sea change, those sort of uh, terms that have been used for quite a long time. That's right, and the, uh, some of the things that are driving that are that the the usually the end result of living life the modern way, the scientific industrial way, because everything is all about pushing the limits, you know, and it's pushing ourselves as well. Typically, 
uh, for, for many, many people, this ends in burnout. And so they end out, they, they end up sort of ejecting from the, the corporate lifestyle, for example, because they've just worked too hard and they realise that not, life just isn't fun anymore and it's not worth the effort. And so it does result in this sea change and tree change trend, as you've been saying. Yeah, and of course, a lot of that is uh, is helped by technology, as we've been talking about, because you, you can, and there are many people, particularly in this region of the Northern Rivers, no doubt, who uh, are essentially working uh, from here into the cities and possibly into the world, anywhere in the world via technology, and that allows uh, people to, in these remote working arrangements, to lead a more cohesive, so to speak, congruent lifestyle with their desires and needs, rather than being dictated by the job that they happen to be in at the time. I guess we fall into that category, are we? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what job? No, I'm not, I'm not insinuating that you actually work, Nick. No, that's all right. <laughs> Can't have that. Don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, back to the trend. Yeah. Um, in uh, in the US, I found an article. Uh, I just had a quick look around on the, on the internet and found a few articles in the last few months talking about this. So there's a, a uh, article here that says rural America rising, white professionals are moving to the countryside, yes. and uh, it's essentially driven by this desire for a, for a better quality of life uh, and you know looking for a more peaceful life. All of those themes that we said before, which run through this shift to to layer six values are, are really um, applying here. There's, it's, a, it's a broad spectrum of things, but the result is that people in the cities uh, have got money. The because the the countryside has been drained during this most recent era. You know, people have moving been moving away from the country and into the cities, chasing work and opportunities. And so, what's happened is that people have started to look back out into the country and say, "Hey, all the houses are actually really cheap out in the country, and there's no traffic." And uh, we can walk to the shop and, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of advantages that people are seeing. And so it's just starting to, to show up in the stats as well. I mean, it's, at the same time, for many people, they would go, yeah, but, you know, because, the, again, the conventional wisdom, what you'll hear often is the re-centralisation of cities. And we're talking about high-rises. We're talking yeah. about, uh, you know, a, a more sort of smaller living spaces, certainly in, in cities around Asia. That's clearly true. Uh, and yet uh, there is this other movement. I think this is almost like this um, this sort of wash of washing out of the city, something else. And perhaps it's been people have been living there for a long time who are now having to change in, as they're evolving into a new uh, paradigm of themselves that well-being becomes that essential to them and more important than the centralisation and being close to culture and the things that they normally would be familiar with and need in their lives and making a choice for uh, as you're saying for more peace for more nature for more community in these ways which is exactly what we're talking about that sort of movement towards a network centric uh, paradigm yeah and and you can because of the technology you can have the network centric living and you don't actually need to be you know living next door to somebody to yeah. be networking with them obviously and it also reflects this general redirection of our attention from the outside word, world to our inner world and, and that particularly that desire for inner peace and so we want peaceful life conditions to match that there's an article here from uh, the UK which says research by Hamptons International shows that almost 94,500 people made the move out of the cities to the countryside over the past 12 months yeah. and, uh, and this is a, a recent article from uh, late 2017 on a different uh, any more on the the movement out of yeah it just says um, it says uh, up to 30% of the leavers are in the 20 to 29 age group so that's something that you may not have guessed Mm. 
and uh, and then it goes to list a few of the different places to where the population's been shifting around, but it, this is in the UK. Yeah. One of the things that we've been looking at too, which I found rather unusual and probably, again, counterintuitive in the way we use that word, and it comes from a piece in a Boston paper, or Boston CBS television by the look of it, and it's about um, kids, our children, being more patient than 50 years ago. And uh, probably most of you are going, like, really? And I certainly did at first. But the statistics do sort of hold this up, and I'll read this paragraph or two here. If you think today's kids are less patient than years past, you may be wrong. A study from the American Psychological Association finds that today's preschoolers may have better impulse control than 50 years ago. That's hard to believe since we seem to live in an era of instant gratification. Back in the 1960s, researchers at Stanford conducted the first so-called marshmallow test. It's a very famous uh, psychological test, the marshmallow test. You may have heard of it. They took kids ages three to five and offered them one treat, like a marshmallow or a cookie, but said that they could get two if they simply waited. And then they left the room to see how long it took the kids to eat the treat. Kids who did the same study in the early 2000s waited on average two minutes longer than those from the 1960s and one minute longer than those in the 1980s, suggesting the kids are getting more patient. Why? Well, some theories include that kids' IQ scores have been rising. There is now more of a focus on early education, which reinforces self-control. Parenting strategies have changed. And modern screen technology may improve cognitive skills and contribute to delayed gratification. Some contestable ideas there, or are they? Well, they're certainly controversial ideas, controversial I think, because ideas. The, you know that does seem to run uh, in the opposite direction of what the you know general discussion has been of re- of late, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, but uh, it's interesting to see that kind of research coming out. I think it's fair to say that because life conditions are becoming more complex, and in large part because of the technology, uh, then that will be having an effect on kids. And and while it's, uh, I think it's probably forever since hunter-gatherer days parents have been worried about their kids not doing the same things that they did you know if the kids are doing something different it's a concern yeah and and many parents are, of course have been very worried about uh, screen time exposure for kids with their face buried in devices and those sorts of things and not getting out and running around on the grass bare feet in bare feet but uh, of course there are always ups and downs to all of these things and one of the one of the um, advantages of the screen time may be just this it may be that they're becoming more patient And again, like so many of these issues for me, I've been using recently the word transition a lot because it feels to me like many of these things are transition um, spaces that we're entering. For example, when we're talking about that uh, that counterintuitive element of that uh, that piece I just read there and then the wisdom, particularly in areas like this, of where the kids should be off the screen, they should be out playing, just like we used to when kids get their, as you mentioned, get their bare feet on the ground, actually feel the energy of the earth coming up and all those things are very good. But perhaps it's also true that something about technology is bringing some kind of positive uh, reinforcement about these things to people too, young people too, because they're seeing, for example, landscapes from all around the world, animals from everywhere. They're seeing um, amazing, uh, amazing ways of using those elements of nature uh, in in video, in film, in uh, in various other forms. So perhaps there's a whole kind of new uh, and expanding appreciation of nature that can, if it hasn't already, can emerge in younger people that is engaged because their own consciousness, their own intelligence, their own way is expanding, 
even though some of those elements contributing to that could be seen as, so to speak, negative. Yeah, because we are in this transition time, one of the one of the tricky things has been that the, the technology that we're using right now was mostly designed out of the scientific industrial mindset. So even though it's connecting us together electronically, it's kind of missing that deep personal connection that people are being driven by now, people who are feeling this emergence into the, to the next uh, way of being human. And so I can see that technology probably in the, in the next 10 years is going to shift and it's going to drive us back to uh, more engagement with the real world. And we're seeing this yes. through things like augmented reality, yes. which is taking the technology off the screen and putting it in the outside world, even though we need to view it through some sort of a device. Mm. It's, it's a sign of a redirection uh, to engagement uh, once again with the real world and with real people and I, I'm sure that I have I'm pretty confident that our technology is going to lead us back in that direction and it, largely because of this response that people are having it's people you know it's like no we're too lonely and we want to re-engage with need real people well, sorry about that I hate these videos that just start up automatically on uh, on websites yeah, damn internet damn internet, internet. Um, and on a similar thing to that one of these which we really loved this week that we came across um, which actually is from a telling that it does it comes from businessinsider.com.au here in australia and it's entitled trippy photos show how beautiful water can look when it is blasted with sound you've got to have a look at this folks and we'll post these on our future sense um twitter feed and uh other places uh, for you to check out so you don't have to get a, don't have to rely on remembering all this sort of stuff but there's a chap um who was a pharmaceutical biochemist or he is Lyndon gledhill uh, in Philadelphia, who retreats to his basement lab, and there he builds custom gear so that he can record the beautiful, complex, and sometimes very weird intersection of science, art, and nature. And there's a whole way that he does this, which I won't go into, quite amazing. And the images that he brings forth from, basically from cymatics, which is the the uh, the science of vibrating, um, using sound to vibrate uh, something like, you might have seen a cymatic plate, which used to be the original, it's a steel plate. You put sand on that plate, you, you get a tone, you vibrate the plate, and it will form some amazing mandala. We can do this with water, you can do it with many other substances too, and this man has done these incredible things and taken photos. But the interesting part about this is they are now being used, for example, in fashion, on, on, um, on clothing, and high fashion, and also in video clips and so forth. So he's actually made a bit of a, a living out of, out of these amazing um, and amazing um, designs. But the thing that's interesting to me is how many people in the world now who have not come across these kind of natural designs are seeing these things for the first time, even if they're just on some sort of high fashion in a, in a, in a show somewhere in the world. So they're, they're entering the zeitgeist, they're entering consciousness, and this is very important because this is a natural thing coming through technology. Absolutely, and of course, it's all sacred geometry, isn't it? In the in the uh, cymatic patterns, it's all sacred geometry, indeed. which which has interesting effects on our consciousness. Mm. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. Yes, it's um, ten thirty-six here on Future Sense. Last half hour coming up to pregnancy, birth, and beyond at the hour of 11 o'clock and a couple of retro tracks there to love them uh, Peter Gabriel of course Games Without Frontiers and before that uh, Crosby Stills Nash and Young and Carry On also great song fantastic harmonies always live forever thanks for your text a couple of well one we'll mention here uh, thanks for that good, good fun it says loving the hallelujah celebration of today's sermon from brothers Steve and Nick uh, praise be to you and all love and all love back to you David thank you that's right blessings to you yeah. 
Fantastic. Stuff. <clears throat> so uh, something else that's happening, which is a very positive sign of change, is that shareholder activism is on the rise. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's a headline from a Forbes article from uh, December, just gone. And uh, it's talking about, you know, not just mum and dad shareholders here, but they're talking about some big institutional investment funds mm. which are managing an awful lot of money. They quote one here called BlackRock, which has more than $6 billion in assets under management. Uh, and then uh, next in line is the Vanguard Group with $5 billion of uh, funds under management there. So these big institutional funds are demanding of companies that they change their ways. And uh, of course, this is very much tied into the general trend, emerging trend of the desire for sustainability yeah. and uh, fair trade and all those sorts of things. In a, I know we Nick mentioned some sustainability stats earlier on in a, another report from Nielsen, the marketing company. Uh, they're saying that by 2021, they expect sustainably-minded U.S. shoppers, so these figures are just for the USA, yeah. to uh, sus- to spend up to $150 billion on sustainable consumer packaged goods. Mm. That's an awful lot of money. Yeah. And that in- that represents an increase of between $14 billion and up to $22 billion between now and then, which is only a short space in time. This is a rapidly emerging uh, sector of the market, uh, so much so that all of the, the uh, big businesses are, are actually taking notice, and so it, this is creating real change. And uh, because the you know the economic system has been a key driver of the old paradigm in this transition period, it's still a very very powerful driver, and perhaps the most powerful driver of change. So, where organisations see that okay, there's more money to be made if we cater for this particular market, that's where some very effective and very fast change is happening. Some of the other headlines from the uh, the Nielsen report, they're saying that um, the the growth in products is related to people demanding fair trade, demanding ethical practices by businesses, demanding fair wages, those sorts of things. And some of the, the key um, issues and market segments that they're seeing growing at the moment, there's been a, a massive growth in demand for vegan products, up 105%. Uh, same for cruelty-free products and same for products that come from companies that are known to have good ethical standards within their organisations. People are asking for more recyclable materials, they're asking for more plant-based materials and asking for for, uh, products that don't involve any animal cruelty in their testing. And of course, along the way, you'll get what's known as greenwash as uh, these kind of trends are also taken up and uh, appropriated, so to speak, and adopted by um, by companies still running under sort of the previous paradigm. But that's also another transitory uh, moment because in a way those, these things can't come to market without them coming through the system that already exists. But the transformation is occurring from the ground up with people actually asking for something else, asking for sustainability, asking for renewables, asking for more health and so on. So yeah, big change. Big change, big change underway. And another area that's really, really changing rapidly is uh, the emergence of blockchain and cryptocurrency. And we've had a very long crypto winter, so the market had a big crash last year, of course, and things went very quiet and very cold for quite a while. The things are warming up again uh, (laughs) with uh, summer coming in the Northern Hemisphere, albeit a little late. And uh, the market is is running again, which I know a lot of people are quite excited about. Uh, Deloitte came out... uh, fairly recently, just this month, with an article headed 80% of businesses see blockchain as a strategic priority. So people are taking notice of this uh, technology and organizations are starting to understand that, okay, this is real change, it's really gonna happen, and it's, it's if we don't change with it, then we're gonna get left behind. Um, 
and uh, some examples of, uh, of how things are moving in the, the cryptocurrency region, Coinbase, which is the largest uh, crypto broker organization in the USA, have recently expanded access to their cryptocurrency-based Visa debit card, allowing people to uh, effectively go and spend their cryptocurrency just as easy as they would spend any other currency in a shop using a, a debit card. Uh, so that's been rolled out uh, across Europe now, or is being rolled out across Europe. And of course, the major, major headline yes. globally right now is Facebook's talk of introducing a cryptocurrency. Which is extraordinary, first of all, because it's only come out in the last few days, and uh, we certainly hadn't come across it, and I don't know who has. We haven't seen any other reporting about this. They've kept it pretty under the radar. There had the radar. been some whispers. You know, there there'd been they? some whispers going on for a long okay. time, but no detail. So the, mm. the, really, the, the detail only really broke just in the, in, uh, the last week or two. But see. it's a very big because of the number of very large companies that have been swept in into or, co- or collaborated with with Facebook um, under the uh, the name the new name which has been registered in Geneva in Switzerland which is Libra Networks LLC. Yeah, so they're calling it the Libra Association, which is a consortium mm-hmm. of firms that Facebook is pulling together for this venture, uh, which is very interesting and, and it's it's very much a transitional move. I mean, in this period where we're halfway between, you know, we've got one foot still in the old modern side of industrial, we've got one foot in the in the new emerging, and so we're seeing these hybrid things crop up. So essentially, this will be kind of centralized around Facebook. And I mean, Facebook have a, a very uh, grubby reputation for, you know, stealing people's data and and uh, not behaving ethically. And I can almost guarantee that whatever they do with this, they're probably going to mess it up somehow. However, it is a wonderful, wonderful step forward. Yeah. And they're bringing together a consortium, so it's not something that they're just doing on their own. There's an amazing list of members of this consortium, which are... Um, Visa, a, MasterCard, yep. PayPal, All of those, and the, more. Uh, Stripe and other big... Uh, payment-oriented company, some investment companies. You might not know some of these names, but there's some very big names uh, in investment. Anderson Horowitz. I love the name of this organisation called the Creative Destruction Lab, <laughs> which which clearly has some disruptive uh, intentions, according to their name. There, Thrive Capital, Rivet Capital, uh, Union Square Ventures are all part of this consortium with Facebook uh, in the blockchain arena. Coinbase, Zappo, Anchorage, Bison Trails. Um, in the social media world as well as Facebook, there's also Calibra are involved, Vodafone, the, the telephone company and another telecommunications company, Iliad, are signing up to this. Uh, e-commerce, you've got Farfetch, eBay, uh, Mercado Libra in the non-profit world. So they've got a, new non-pro- a few non-profit organizations as part of this consortium. Women's World Banking, Kiva and Mercy Corps, Uber and Lyft, the rideshare companies are involved, Spotify from the music world. Uh, from the travel world, booking holdings. So uh, a very, very interesting collection of different organizations that are coming together to join in this venture. And, and the when this cryptocurrency is launched, and I, I might also mention too that as far as I'm aware, there is a white paper coming. So mm. for those of you who don't sort of follow the crypto world, usually before a token, a crypto token is issued, then an organization will put out a white paper just explaining their strategy and how they uh, hope the uh, the cryptocurrency will be used and how how they'll uh, they organize the technology and that should be coming pretty soon. Uh, but I understand that uh, amongst other things, this cryptocurrency obviously will be uh, for use on the Facebook platform, but also people will be able to send it through their through WhatsApp. Yeah, 
Uh, it's interesting, though, I note in the same article that the uh, the company Facebook originally had ambitions to get Wall Street involved, but found a lack of interest among institutional giants like Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. That might be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, it is very interesting. And, and of course, um, one of the key characters here, Jamie Dimon, has been very, very mm. crypto, crypto, very, very critical of cryptocurrency uh, in the past, but also uh, his organisation has been caught investing in it as well. Um, so this is ra- this raises a lot of questions. And a bit of money. You got to have money both ways. Yeah, you, you, obviously, your dad was a racing guy. Like, you know, you know, true. you know how it's it works. True. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's called hedging, I think. Hedging. And uh, you know, it's gonna, this is going to test a lot of our social systems as well. So you know, obviously, this Facebook are based in the USA, and they're already getting uh, letters from, uh, for ex- for example, um, one particular. Uh, Banking committee, U.S. senators on a particular banking committee addressed addressed an open letter to Facebook. You know, just asking how is this going to work exactly. Um, so all, all of our old and fairly rigid um, organisations, like our, our um, f- for example, the SEC in the oh, yeah. U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission, these yeah. sorts of things, all looking very critically at this and, and waiting to see the white paper, I guess, and wondering how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And so that. What it will do is it will test the interface between the the old regulation systems within our economic world and how they're going to uh, deal with the emergence of this new thing, cryptocurrency, which, you know, crosses a lot of boundaries that have been fairly rigid and in place for a long time. And, you know, as as we're speaking here, and you mentioned already this sort of recentralization, our good, uh, dear, new friend, Ashoka, if you're listening out there, hey, who we were talking about this the other night, and he said, ah, well, blockchain is all about decentralization, but this is like the recentralization of the decentral, and there is a truth to that. So that's part of the transition. Yeah, Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of this at the moment yep. because we are in a halfway place as new technologies arise and they look interesting you know the the older organizations which are still operating from the centralized paradigm the scientific industrial paradigm they'll grab hold of these and they'll try to use them as best they can to, to do what they do which is to make money uh, and so this is the the world that we're living in a world of one foot in in each paradigm and these strange uh, mergers or hybrids, you know, that are going to arise where these new technologies are trying to be used in ways that are typical of the old way of operating. Mm. But the, because the technologies are what they are, and because they've been designed to basically undercut the, the centralization and the organizations that, that have grown out of a centralized world, then just their presence in the world is going to bring change. And it's going to, you know, it's going to blur the boundaries and undercut some of the centralization for sure. Mm. Yes, indeed. Uh, 10.47 here on uh, Future Sense. We're nearly out of time. Is there, what else can we point to in terms of change? I've, actually, I've got a piece here. Have you got more on, the, on anything uh, more on crypto? No, yeah. that's all. Keep going. Okay. No, I just want to bring attention to a couple of other, or one or two other things. Um, uh, interesting thing in Forbes magazine this week uh, is that the Church of England's $10.5 billion fund, that's the Church of England, under the auspices of the Queen, in fact, uh, their billion-dollar fund will now begin to invest in cannabis, in medicinal cannabis. This is a pretty uh, amazing uh, turn, isn't it? It just sort of crosses those boundaries again, yeah, shakes up shakes up the, per- the perimeters and the borders between things. It's very interesting. And at a time where the acceptance of medical cannabis is still very controversial yeah. in most countries, and uh, certainly here in Australia where the government has, in theory, legalised 
medical cannabis, but medical cannabis is not available for most of the people who need it, and so most mm. of those people are still being forced to source it illegally. Which they also refer to in this article about the, article about the UK, and we, we know that, in fact, the UK strangely has followed the Australian government's uh, position and policies on medical cannabis, which is basically, yeah, we'll sort of make it uh, you know, legal, however. Uh, it's like, we don't want this to work either. Let's do what Australia's doing. Yeah, right. Put some roadblocks in place. Another lovely, uh, lovely piece this week uh, was uh, from Scientific American, uh, actually from late last year, and uh, it's entitled "The Hippies Were Right." It's all about vibrations, man. And I think this is one of the key things for me. And I mentioned those beautiful water uh, trippy photos from from uh, Business Insider a little while ago. But this is a, this is a lovely article about um, the fact that well, maybe the notion of vibration and resonance may actually be a better way of describing the universe pretty well everything than our current set of uh, physics and science would indicate, which with the hippies we've been saying for a long time. It's interesting <laughs> that you, you mentioned vibration and, and resonance in general, actually, because... Are you feeling something? The, with the, uh, the, the fact that this paradigm, this uh, humanistic cent- uh, network-centric layer six paradigm that is in the process of emerging right now, with the fact that that's going to be so short in duration and so we're going to see this Mm. quantum leap in human capacity in the transition from six to seven to this integrative multi-dimensional way of being human happen very very quickly and and it's already underway so remember that graves found some people who had already transitioned into layer seven back in the the 1950s believe it or not a very small percentage so this has been ticking along in the background and this is evidence of multiple paradigm shifts in progress simultaneously and so seven is so capable uh, in terms of the broad perspective it can take and not just a single dimensional perspective but a multi-dimensional perspective and its problem solving capacity is just off the scale compared to anything that we have right now Mm. and it's fair to say that it's going to be our saving grace and, and really, all of the compounding global-scale problems that we see emerging at the moment and promising to get much worse in the decade ahead are creating the evolutionary tension that is really going to launch us into this quantum leap. So it's this, uh, the tension that, that's going to come is going to drive many, many people to the point of not being able to cope with their current worldview and they will go through a transformation into and through this quantum leap Mm. and so those folks are the biggest hope that we have globally in terms of solving these problems and I'm quite optimistic that we will quite successfully uh, get on top of many of these problems which look insurmountable Mm. at at present but one of the key indicators of the emergence of this layer 7 consciousness is a reorientation a reinterpretation of everything around the concept of frequency. So and we're ta- I'm talking about frequency from physics base now. So starting to look at patterns of frequency and starting to look, for example, from the medical perspective of how the body operates on different frequencies yeah. and how we can actually use physics as mm-hmm. a medicine, frequency-based medicine, mm-hmm. for example. And this is one of the indicators of this uh, very, very capable way of being human emerging already in the world very um, exciting stuff very yeah. exciting and some of the other things that you can look for to you know if, and and uh, i'm sure that you're hopeful like me of a rapid emergence of this integrative way of being human to solve all of these problems but things like uh, factoring in an awareness of different layers of consciousness being aware that there are even different layers of consciousness and being able to interpret those and cater for those mm. which gives us uh, an entirely new t- tool set in terms of the way we interact with people and also manage people around the world. Um, 
So these are emergent signs, customization of different services for individuals. And, and this goes back to things like the frequency-based medicine, for, for example. So having ways of analyzing a person's body and its operating systems and then being able to tailor medicine mm-hmm. or therapy or whatever it is to suit each individual's differences. Mm-hmm. These are the sorts of things that we can expect to see and uh, regenerative technologies. So we're moving from... Uh, construct using trash mindset in the modern era to a sustainable mindset in the emerging six and that will shift again and is already shifting again in small scale to regenerative technologies in the seventh layer where it's not just sustainable it actually creates and re-establishes you know things that that need regenerating yes beautiful that's about it for the show. I wanted to quote, which relevant to what we're saying here, we, we like to um, receive, we receive every Monday uh, from Bobby Kay, and you might like to check it out, um, I Ching reading, and the I Ching, of course, being an ancient, ancient system, and more than that, and maybe we'll talk about that further another time, talking about frequencies. Um, but just quoting a little bit from, from that, at, at this time, he says, and this is for this week in particular, this is the reading, Exercising compassion and kindness in the face of the chaos and fear-mongering that comes forward towards you is of the greatest challenge, and precisely why the benefit is to seek inner stillness. So if that's not too clear. Walk and work with dignity, spine erect, literally, so you will receive the full dose of energy being transmitted to earth, entering through the soles of your feet and rising up to the crown. What is available now is unprecedented, The earth is in survival mode and thus is calling on very powerful cosmic healing forces. This light is coming at warp speed and denotes the dynamics of rapid change on earth. Now that's taking it out a bit far, but uh, we like to go out a little bit far occasionally. It's always good to stretch the embryo. Stretch the envelope, indeed. Indeed. Well, that's about it for it. Anything else we can add? I think we've got to go. I think we just add, have a wonderful week, folks, and we'll be back next week. Stay positive. Beautiful. That's it for us uh, here at Future Sense, Nick and Steve. And as we've said before, you can check out the the edited podcasts at uh, futuresense.it. That's the website. And also on our Twitter feed, at Future Sense Show. You can find uh, links to all the articles that we have talked about today and on other shows. Or a good selection, at least. Or a good selection, at least. Thanks for joining us. Coming up, Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia, at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.